Oh, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come again and to share what I think you've put on my heart. And I just pray, as always, that the words that are yours would go into the soil of our hearts and we'd plant it there and it'd bear good fruit in our lives. And the words that are mine would fall to the floor and no one, no one would remember them so that they would all go away thinking, I heard a good message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, it's hot. And it's going to get hotter. So this, so this might be a very quick message. Can you hear me in the back? Yep, perfect. Um, so this might be a quick message. Amen? Because you don't want to start seeing me melt. I don't have my, you know, Charlie knows what he's doing. I don't have a cloth. To, I don't even have, I don't even have water. Thank you, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> That was a test. You passed. <laughs> uh, uh, the first message Alyssa ever heard me speak, we were joking, and uh, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, play a trick, and I'm going to go up there, and before I start, I'm just going to start, oh, man, I'm so parched. And I was telling Alyssa, that's your sign. We weren't dating. We were just friends. I was like, that's your sign to get up and get some water. She's like, I'm not going to do that. And she was like, and you're not going to do that. She didn't think I would do that. So I got up in front of youth group, and I was like, oh, man, I'm just feeling a little, little parched. And I look right at her, and she just starts cracking up, and she doesn't move. But a wonderful friend, Matthew DeMoss, jumps up, runs out of the room. And this was room 10. It was the biggest room in the community center, and we're at the front half. And the drinking fountain is at the front of the church, and he's sitting at this seat. He jumps up in just 40-yard dash, just the quickest time he could, out the door, the back door. It's just it's like, oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> started, started laughing. I was just like, oops. It was just a joke. But this time, I would appreciate the water. So thank you very much. I don't have much but what I give you. There you go. Um, thank you very much. Mm. So, I was really, um, not stumped, it was a weird week, so it was kind of, I was having a hard time figuring out what to share, and, and uh, so one morning, I won't tell you how soon today it was, um, I, I asked my wife, what am I supposed to speak on, and she did something amazing, she stopped what she was doing, she closed her eyes and she paused, and she looked at me and she said, keys for growth. Keys for growth. And I said, okay, thanks. And then I sat down and I did my little time with God. I said, Lord, what, what do you want me to speak on? I found some time. And he said, I want you to talk on keys for growth. <laughs> so I'm giving credit where credit's due. Uh, the Lord used my wife to share this with me. But I, I, do, I feel like this is a little bit of a bridge message. I um, I'll give you a preview. I don't know for how long. I'm sensing it'll be more than two. The next couple times I speak, there will be a theme. I will be speaking on love. So every time you see me with a mic speaking for the next several Sundays, when I'm speaking, whatever that schedule is, um, it'll be on love. But I feel like this is a little bit of a bridge message to that theme. Keys for growth. We, we talked and we've been talking uh, for a while about dreams, and what spurred that was um, 
the first message and kind of what turned out to be a little bit of a mini-series on, for me, where I spoke on a season of growth, and I spoke on the church as a, the global church is entering a season of growth, and, and I really do feel like um, I shared in terms of growing physically uh, in people, and I, and I believe that, but there's also the aspect of it where we're also growing uh, individually, and we're growing internally, and we are growing larger, not just as a body, but as the individual parts of the body. And so I wanted to talk about that today, and I wanted to address some principles um, to keep ourselves in a position to grow as quickly and, and as healthily as we can. Um, so when we talk about growth, I just want to lay the foundation. We've all heard this foundation before. We should hear it consistently. We should probably never stop hearing this foundation. Uh, but when we think about growth and how to grow, um, we grow by staying connected to Him, okay? Our growth is empowered by Jesus. It's uh, in our name, abiding place, that is a double meaning. It is not just a place where God abides, but it's also the action and the value that we have that we abide in Him, right? So John 15, um, starting in chapter 4, remain in me, that's the NAS NASB, your translation most likely says abide in me, remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot, cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So the basic principle there is if you want to grow, abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Okay, And this is foundational. We have talked about this before. This is literally the whole point how do I be a Christian? How do I become a disciple? Abide in the vine. Remain in him. And so there's some very basic things. I, I think there's just four very basic things that everything else is a subcategory of, of how to abide, how to remain in the vine. And I'm not going to talk about them. That's not the main thrust of my message, but I do want to share so that we are all on the same foundation. The first of the four basic ways to remain in him is, of course, in prayer that communication with God, that conversation with God, prayer, talking to him, letting him talk to you, sharing what you'd like, sharing how you're feeling, and receiving from him what he would like and how he's feeling. That is essential. You cannot be connected to someone if you don't talk to that person. As much as you think you can, you can't, okay? The second one is worship. Very big word, worship, but it's what I mean by worship, my definition of worship, is any activity where you are pouring out your affection, your adoration, your love, your appreciation to God. Any action. Our main thing that pops in our head is always singing songs specifically geared that way. But any action I do where I'm taking it as a way of saying thank you to the Lord, of pouring out my appreciation, that is worship. And that is a fundamental way we remain in Christ. Partly because it reminds us who we are. Alyssa and I didn't talk, so I really love that so much of the worship today was all about who he is. So when we're worshiping and we're declaring who he is, not only are we pouring out praise to him and pouring out appreciation, we're reminding ourselves this is who he is. It's a very vital function of staying connected to God. The third one would be the Bible. 
Read the Bible. Know what he has said. I've shared this ad nauseum. I will share it till the day I die. I will probably write it in a book one day. God speaks to us in two ways. He calls us on the phone and he writes us letters. If you only talk to God on the phone, you are missing half the conversation. If you only read the letters he's written, you're missing half the conversation. Okay? And I don't know about you, but I have had conversations with God where I have said, what do I do? And he said, I have already told you. I wrote you a letter. And he's telling me, read what I have written to you. Read your Bible. We learn about how God functions, how he works, his his character, the reason he does stuff, why he wants us to live the way we want. It's all in the word. And the more we know the Bible, the more clear the reception on our phone gets. Okay? Really important. And the last one, which is also super important, is community. We remain in the vine when we are connected to him and others. The Lord told me what this message was through my wife. So I can say the Lord told me what my message is going to be. Specifically, he told me through someone I'm in community with, someone I'm in relationship with. It's super important that we stay in community, in healthy community, where we're challenging each other, we're loving, we're practicing on each other, right? So those are the very basic theological, spiritual ways to stay connected to him, and we've gone over them many times, and we will go over them many times more. But I want to focus on some other aspects, some other principles or paradigms to keep ourselves in a mentality of growth. The first one would be, why do we grow? Why is growth so important? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I just kind of go, I want to stop. I'm good where I am. Lord, you've challenged me right to that level. I'm all right. So why are we supposed to be growing Why are we called to growth and why is it important to grow individually? Well, it says it in John 15, I think the first, most foremost one. It says in John 15, verse 8, the Father is glorified when we bear fruit and prove ourselves to be Jesus' disciple. So why do we grow? Well, the first reason we grow is we grow for God. We grow for God. He is glorified when we are operating and when we're producing fruit he gets the glory he gets the pride he gets to look and say look at what my children are doing you know have you ever looked at your child and they've done something amazing charlie won't stop bragging on his kids seriously he won't stop every time i talk to him oh this one's doing this and this one's doing that and this one's it's just like okay enough your kids are awesome right and then I, you know, I roll my eyes and then I think, man, when was the last time I went through a conversation and didn't tell them something my boys did? You know, We love bragging on our kids. God's the same way. It brings him joy. It brings him pleasure. And he gets glory when we grow and we produce fruit. We grow for others. The main sign of growth is fruit. You see that in the Bible all the time. How do we know you're healthy? How do we know that you're growing? You're producing fruit. Does the vine grow fruit for himself? Not really. We grow fruit for others. Our fruit impacts others. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one? Love. And in fact, 
It kind of says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and in love is joy, peace, blah, 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 blah. Love is so vital. Biblical love is almost always pointed outside of you towards someone else. I say almost always because you do have a benefit. There is a benefit to yourself. (laughs) But we grow for others so that others are impacted, so that others benefit from what the Lord is doing in our life. It can be as simple as sharing our salvation, sharing our testimony to invite others into the family of God. John gets really practical, and he says, if you have means, if you have resources, use that to help your brothers and sisters. So sometimes we get blessed to be a blessing, right? In fact, not sometimes. We always get blessed to be a blessing. If you ever think God just blessed me because I'm awesome, you miss the boat a little bit because he's blessing you so you can bless others. And finally, we grow for ourselves. This is kind of a byproduct of the first two. When we please God and we love others, we get a benefit. So that's why we should be thinking about growth. That's why we want to be in a position to grow. That's why we want to have mentalities of growth. A second thing to realize with growth, growth is a co-laboring exercise. We are responsible for participating with God in our growth. It is not a passive situation where I just sit here. He's working. In five years, I'll be there. That's not how it works. Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, you want to share with the class? Oh, Cheryl. (laughs) No worries. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul calls Timothy a co-worker with God. We co-labor with God. And we work on each other and we work on ourselves. We're both a building God is creating and we're also the workers God is using to build the building. We can't be passive about it. Unfortunately, because growth involves us and we're, you know, human, we can stagnate our own growth. We can resist and we can be passive. And I think sometimes we just naturally land in one of those areas of being passive with our growth or even resisting it. You know, when I was thinking about this, I was even thinking a lot of times when we talk about growth, our mind immediately goes to our weaknesses, right? We immediately go to the places that need growth. Um, We even kind of make the term growth area synonymous with weakness. If someone talks to me about a growth area of mine, they're, telling me an, uh, they're talking to me about an area that needs work. So it can be uncomfortable. Which leads me to another mindset of growth we need to keep in firmly rooted in our minds. Growth tends to be uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I've never said Oh, the Lord is growing me, and it's so nice. Not really. Or if it, does, if it is nice, I almost always know there's going to be a testing coming. 
that, oh, the Lord has me in a classroom right now, but the practical is coming up. That's another reason why we avoid it. It can be uncomfortable. Use whatever word you want. Tension, stress, discomfort, whatever you want to call it, it's usually an accelerant of growth. Tension is an accelerant to growth if we embrace it. If we realize this is uncomfortable, but God is using it, then we go, now I see the reason for it, and I can lean into it. So that uncomfortable conversation, I can go, oh, it's uncomfortable because I can list off all these areas, but God is wanting to grow me in this area. So if I lean into that uncomfortable uh, confrontation, conversation, then I'm actually going to grow quicker than if I keep on pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. Or if I keep on asking the Lord, Lord, please just do something to take care of it so I'm not involved, so I don't have to do anything, right? We learn better as humans under pressure than we do in controlled environments. We actually are programmed to learn better, to grow better, in pressure. If everything was easy, we don't actually grow that much. I don't know about you guys, but um, I find that um, faith is forged in scarcity, not abundance. Because when it's abundant, it's easy to trust God. It's easy to just trust that, oh, more is coming. But when things are scarce, that's when you actually have to activate that muscle. When things become uncomfortable, you go, I'm trusting the Lord even though I don't see it. I once had a conversation with somebody and they were like, well, I'm not moving until God clearly shows me the step. And I said, so, oh, so you're not engaging in faith. And they looked at me and I said, "I, I get wanting to hear something from the Lord. But the language of, until I clearly see the next step in front of me, I won't move. Well, if I know the step in front of me, that's not faith, because I see it. Faith is the absence of seeing. Faith is trusting. I don't see the step clearly, but I'm going to take the step because I am hearing the Lord and I'm trusting him. That's faith. Now, sometimes God says, here's five steps ahead, and that's wonderful and amazing. Sometimes he goes, I'm not telling you at all. Take the step. But that tends to be forged in scarcity, not abundance. So I'm not against controlled environments. I'm not against the classroom. I think the classroom is useful. I think we learn in safe places, but we should always put the rubber to the road. There should always be a practical to my theory. And if there isn't, then how do I know? You know, I... uh, I think bodybuilding is a dumb thing because it literally is just purely aesthetic. Like, have you ever looked into the sport, sport of bodybuilding? It's the stupidest thing. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm like, oh, wow, look at those muscles. They're nice, sure. What do you do? You know, oh, well, I sit at a desk. <laughs> oh, yeah, you need those biceps for pushing those keys down, you know? Sometimes, I, Christians, we get stuck in that. We, we're bodybuilding, but we're not using it. You know, We work so hard to get the knowledge, to get the understanding, to get the training, to, 
you know, get, dive deeper into the revelations of God. And, and I'm not mocking any of that, except that if you do that for that, then I'm kind of like, what's the point? You're building up muscles. You might look amazing in a Speedo. But if you don't put those muscles to use, that was a lot of work for not much to show, not a lot of fruit. I mean, if all the fruit is, let me wow you with my knowledge, that's selfish. And that just tends to puff up. So to start growing, to start being in those mindsets, there's a couple keys. I was just talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, give me some keys. And this is stuff he's teaching me. I've been having great conversations with Alyssa about, the Lord just hit me upside the head with this this week. And I just, so I just want to share some of these things with you. Um, the first one is this. There is no such thing as a super competent person, meaning someone who is competent in everything. There's no such thing. One person existed. He's been dead for 2,000 years. He's not you. That means you are not super competent. Stop acting like you are. Well, what does it mean I'm not super competent? Well, it means you will make mistakes. And it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It means there's areas that you aren't strong in. And that's okay. Because here's, here's the myth of super competence applied to in a Christian perspective. Right now, I have strengths and I have weaknesses. But if I engage with God, if I follow Him, if I submit to His thing, by the end of it, I'll have no weaknesses. I'll be all strengths. That's the Christian myth of supercompetence. If I just get closer to God, I won't have any more weaknesses. He'll take care of all of it. Does the Bible say He'll take care of our weaknesses? No. What does He do to our weaknesses? He covers them. His strength is found in our weakness. He covers our weaknesses. It doesn't say he transforms our weaknesses into strengths. It says he covers it, meaning he takes care of it. Like, think of it this way. I'm going to pay a bill. I'm $5 short. And Alyssa goes, oh, I got it. Don't worry. I'll cover you. He covers our weaknesses. He makes up the difference. But he doesn't turn us. He doesn't always, not always, turn our strengths our weaknesses into strengths because the whole point is our weaknesses remind us we're not super competent and we need people and we need him. Here's a hint. God does not want you to turn all the weaknesses into strengths. He just wants you to make sure they don't become liabilities or stumbling blocks. I remember when God told me that. He said, I'm not asking you to turn your weaknesses into strengths. I just don't want your weaknesses to become liabilities. Because I was complaining to him. I was like, Lord, why is this so hard? Why do I struggle with this and this and this? Why do I have a hard time remembering this? And why, like, he's like, I he was trying, Lord, help me. And then I was like, but how could you help me? He goes, I'm not trying to make you, guess what, guys, sorry. I'm ADHD. It's a neurological difference. It's not a disease. My brain isn't broke. My brain is literally physically different from someone who doesn't have ADHD. It means my brain does things in a different way, some ways better, some ways not better. 
And I've been in the last two years going on a journey because I've been ADHD. I've known I was ADHD. I had ADHD since I was seven, right? Went up the hill, did all the testing. So I've, I've known I've had ADHD, but I always kind of pushed it aside and didn't look at it and didn't really look at how it affected. I could tell you some ways in school it affected me uh, after high school when suddenly working at home and being self-disciplined mattered. I can tell you, oh yeah, ADHD is a thing. But the last two years, I started going on a journey of discovering what does ADHD mean for me? How is it affecting me? And how do I start adjusting to make sure it's not a liability in my life? It's never going to be a strength in certain areas. One of the big ones, and I remember the first week I was doing this, I would go home every day to Alyssa and go, I'm so sorry that you married me. Because <laughs> there were so many things that I was realizing, that isn't me being forgetful, that's ADHD. Like, it's literally my brain not keeping that in my memory. Like, it doesn't function that way. You know, um, double booking myself. It's because I go, I'll remember that. No, I won't. And why am I going to try and beat myself up to say, literally my brain functions in a way that I won't remember that. The minute something else comes in, it will fall out. So how do I work on that? Well, I'm training myself. If someone asks me about a date, I go, let me look at my calendar. Because my phone won't forget. I'm never going to be the best at remembering dates and appointments unless it becomes habit. Like, I don't forget my meeting with Charlie because we've been doing it for practically 12 years every week. So I don't forget that because it's habit. But the random things, that gets put in the calendar. Because I'll never be great at remembering that. The Lord isn't going to suddenly magically go, now you can remember everything. And I don't want him to. I'm learning how to make it not a liability. God does the same thing for us. We have weaknesses. Some of them, he goes, no, we're going to fix that. We're going to work on that. We're going to build that up so it's no longer weakness. Others, he goes, no, the solution there is you involve somebody in your life. The solution won't be found in you. The solution will be found in community. Sometimes it means we're going to work on it enough that it's no longer a liability, but it'll never be a strength. So embrace your weakness. It's necessary. The Bible says the weaker parts of the body are necessary. They remind us that we aren't God, that we need community, and we need Jesus. On that same vein, I would encourage you guys, don't turn the page in your life and in what you're focusing on don't turn the page until God does. So many times, God says something. We get super excited. We maybe do one step towards it or one step in that area, one thing in that area. And then we go, okay, next thing, Lord. Let's move on. I do that. I'm totally guilty of that. The Lord says, hey, here's something I'm doing. I'm like, great. And then I share it once, and I'm like, he's doing it. Next thing, Lord. And the Lord said, don't, don't turn the page until I do. Don't go ahead of me. Stay where I am. 
Stay on the subject he's highlighting. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's scary because he's challenging us to do something new, especially if we're talking about growth, right? Growth can be scary because it's stuff we haven't done or we don't know that we can do. And so sometimes we do, we just want to go like, next, moving on, you know? Let's keep it physical. Like, let's say my goal is 10 push-ups and I do one. I'm like, oh, that was great and hard. Okay, next. <laughs> I, did the, I did it a little bit. Can we move on? So often we, we move past God and we need to learn when he's hovering over an area of our lives not to move until he does. And that's hard because sometimes he hovers and he hovers and he hovers and, he, and you're like, Lord, I'm, it's just painful to look at. Lord, do I, oh man, when he was dealing with pride in my life, talk about hover. That was a five-year process. And he's still dealing with pride, but I mean like highlight, God focusing on pride in my life, five year, and I tried to turn the page. I'd be like, he'd be like, ah, 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 ah. but Lord, I think we should, ah, 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 and I'd go, you know, I'd get a victory and I'd go, sweet, now we're done. Now we're going to turn the page. And then I'd walk into a situation and something else gets triggered, gets poked, gets revealed. And I'm like, okay, this again. It was quite like an onion. A lot of tears. <laughs> but we need to learn to stay where God is hovering and only move away when he moves, when he highlights something. We don't just move on to the next one. Sometimes we get excited about the glory to glory, and we think it's like walking upstairs. Okay, one step, two steps. Sometimes it's you're stuck on a glory for a while, but he's building you up to handle the next one, right? Along this same vein, don't become an expert in your own faults. Don't become an expert in your own faults. Introspection is fatal. I think it's wonderful to know your weakness. I think it's wonderful to understand your strengths and your limitations. But never become an expert in your limitations. Because God's whole point is, he's trying to take you beyond that. And he knows the best way to do that. I know a lot of people that get really into um, inner healing and they just want to move to the next trauma, next trauma, next trauma. Okay, Lord, you dealt with that thing. Let's move on to the next one. And the Lord might be like, I don't want to actually deal with that right now. That's fine. I want to do something else. And so they just, they're doing it. They're doing it. They're dredging up their own pain and they're just stuck in this cycle of always needing to improve themselves. And what I notice with people like that is they're never quite ready. They're never quite there yet to take the next step because they've become an expert in their own faults and they only see the negative or they see mainly the negative and they go, I'm not quite ready yet, Lord. You're ready when the Lord says you're ready, even with the warts. You need to let him guide that journey. Uh, it's a co-laboring, but he's in charge. And he will come to you and go, let's deal with this issue. And you say, okay, and then you go, well, since we dealt with, we dealt with this, so we dealt with pride, okay, Lord, so naturally we should deal with, if we're dealing with, we've dealt, dealt with my pride, now we should probably deal with my unforgiveness, right? No, he's like, no, actually, now I want to go over here, and I want to work with this. You sure, Lord? I could probably work on unforgiveness. <laughs> we suddenly become the director, and we're suddenly saying, Lord, fix me here, and I'm not going to do anything until you do that. 
when we become experts in our faults, it's just another way of putting ourselves in charge. We take him off the throne. We put ourselves on the throne. We can't grow without him. So it becomes useless to begin healing areas in our lives that he isn't directing us in. If he's not there, it doesn't matter how much I talk about it, how much I pray about it, how much I go see a counselor. It doesn't matter. It's not going to get healed if he's not there right now. And in fact, sometimes I can fool myself into thinking I've taken care of it, which all that means is I don't see the cliff till I'm over it. When I direct my own healing, I can fool myself into thinking I've taken care of issues. And all that means is I've blinded myself to them so I won't see the cliff until I've already walked over the edge. It's a bad thing. You don't want to fall off, you don't want to fall off a cliff unless the Lord says jump. When the Lord says jump, you know something's going to happen. Parachute a ledge you didn't notice, when you just jump and say, catch me! Sometimes the Lord says yes, sometimes he says, not this time. And finally, in this same vein, and lastly, you need to learn from your mistakes. Instead of just ignoring them or moving past them. Because we don't like mistakes. We don't like owning our mistakes. We don't like uh, saying we're wrong. Sometimes it's a pride issue. Sometimes it's a shame issue. So sometimes it's just pride. We can't acknowledge it because that feels like, we feel like it weakens us. Sometimes it's shame. So it just is too painful or it feels too painful. The mistakes we don't analyze are the mistakes we will repeat. And we're human, so we will make mistakes. God sometimes, and this might be shocking to you, you might disagree with this theology, I think sometimes God leads us into situations where we'll make a mistake so that he can go, let's look at that. Let's talk about it. I know I've been, he's done that to me. I have made mistakes that if God wasn't there would be so catastrophic to my life. But they weren't because he was there, but it was enough of a mistake that he goes, see how you did that? Let's fix that. Let's make sure you don't make that same mistake again. So how do you learn from your mistakes? Well, like I said, since typically we like to avoid them either by trying to move past them, la la la, I don't see you, or denying or rejecting them, I didn't make a mistake, it wasn't my fault. We have to face them. We have to look at them. That could be so painful. That could be so hard to look at a mistake. What went wrong here? We have to analyze it. We have to take responsibility. Now here's the trick. We take responsibility, but we reject shame. We take responsibility, but we reject shame. I won't feel responsible to the point of beating myself up in condemnation. I reject the shame because guess what? I'm in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But I'll look at where did I, where was my responsibility? I did this this week with Alyssa. We got into a fight. We got into two fights over three days. And they were charged fights. And when we sat down and talked about it, 
we looked at it and we had to say, okay, here was where I was responsible. Here's where I made the poor choice. Here's where I decided to make the fight worse. Here's where I decided to uh, forget the fight and attack you personally. Here's where I did this action deliberately because it would bother you, right? We had to do that with each other. We had to look at it. And that can be really painful and that can be really hard. And, and as we're doing that, we're having to fight our own self-defenses that don't want us to do that. But you have to do that. And then we had to say, I'm not going to feel shame about it. I'm going to feel regret, which is why we're having this. But I'm not going to feel shame. I'm not going to condemn myself over these actions. I'm repairing them and then we're moving on. I remember the second one we had, Alyssa started to say, well, and like that, like two days ago, and I stopped her and I said, wait, I thought we dealt with that. She's like, yeah. I said, so, and you forgave me? Yeah, and I forgave you? Yeah, so why are you bringing it up? And she's like, you're right, I'm sorry. Which, by the way, let's just give a hand. I know she's not here, but let's just give a hand, because that's hard. That's hard for anyone to bring up something and then in the moment say, wait, wait, I thought we took care of that. You're right. And to truthfully put it back in the past and not keep it. You have to accurately, without mercy, identify where you missed the mark. You do. And a lot of people like, a lot of people want to avoid this. I don't see the point in this. The point is, if you don't analyze where you made the mistake, where you missed the mark, guess what? It's easier for you to keep on missing the mark. But the point is, we're not doing this to make you feel bad. We're not doing this. And this is, you do this with God, you do this with yourself, you do this with people in your life. And you're not doing it to feel bad. You're doing it so that the next time you don't miss the mark, that's a growth mentality. Always getting better. I made a mistake. Where can I, okay? I'm not going to feel bad about it because I'm not doing it to feel bad. I'm not doing it to beat myself up. I'm doing it so that the next time it will be better. And then this last one, you role play. This is the positive benefit. You go, if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't missed the mark, how would it have played out? What would the result be? That's kind of reinforcement. And you can, I love it because you can ask God, okay, Lord, if I hadn't missed the mark there, what would have happened? And not, again, not to beat yourself up, but to go, okay, that's the goal moving forward. You know, if you talk to athletes who train, if you talk to musicians who practice, visualization is super key. You visualize hitting the mark. As Christians, we need to be doing the same thing, visualizing hitting the mark. I, used, I tell us, I call it daydreaming with God. You don't want to get lost in it. You don't want to get so deep into that you lose touch with reality. But sit down and just have the what ifs with God. Because when you're doing it with God, you know it's all good. I would challenge you guys. We talk about dreams. That's that daydream, right? Like, Lord, what if? That's that role-playing and it's reinforcing. So the next time that situation comes, you have an outcome that you want. And it's easier because you visualize it. It's easier to see it happen. And that's where you start getting that humility and you start building the muscles to, in a conversation, just go, oh, I was wrong, and move on instead of it becoming a sticking point, Right? So those are just some keys. The Lord, but this is, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm going through these same lessons and learning how to apply them myself in greater and greater ways. And some of these things I felt, you know, I, I, would, I would have told you, oh, I'm really good at this already. And the Lord is like, oh, you can be better. 
And I'm like, all right, Lord. Growth is something we do as Christians. It's a responsibility we have. And I don't want to lose the sight that we grow first for God, second for others. The reason why we're even willing to put ourselves through this, to, to think this way, to try and operate this way, to keep these paradigms in our head is because the growth is to glorify God and to benefit others. And when we do that, we bear fruit. And there is a satisfaction that we get when we bear good fruit. There's a satisfaction. We talked about it at Guy's group, about moments where we just have the perfect words and the Lord is working through us and we've actually know that we know that we know that we've actually genuinely touched a person or a situation for the better, that we introduce God into it in a, like in a true way, not just, you know, not just I hope that helped and I know his word doesn't return void, but like genuinely, like that was the word of life. When you're in that moment, you don't walk away from that going, <laughs> you walk away from that so buzzed and excited. That's why we grow. That's why we grow. And because as excited as we are, God's in heaven dancing a jig, which is a great picture. So Father, I just thank you so much. You love us so much that we don't need to change, but you love us too much to let us stay where we are. And I thank you that there's always an open door there's always an open door to engage in the process of growth. And I just, I just ask you, Father, that you would begin to show us those growth areas that you are challenging us to co-labor with you in. That you'd begin to show us and that we would say yes to it and we would embrace it for your glory and for others' benefit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stay cool.